Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, you're so good and have done so much to draw us back to yourself. You baptize us like you did these two little ones today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and enable our eyes to see and our ears to hear. And by your power, Lord, we can walk in the righteousness you have imputed to us, but also in the sanctification you have planned for us. And yet, Lord, like our confession today, we are, we're just incapable of doing even the good that we know in our head we should do. We still don't do that. We end up like those disciples arguing over who's going to be greater. We're always, we're always after something, something else, something more, something beyond what you've given us already. And for that, Lord, we need, we need help. We need your spirit. We need the word of God. We need one another that we can keep our, keep our lamps trimmed. You've made us the light of the world in our world, but we need to stay on top of it so our light shines brightly in a dark world. Could you help us today? Again, by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word, that we might shine brightly in a covetous world all around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in this series here at Shepherd. Let my people go. Today the topic is mine. Not like the mine where you dig jewels, but mine as in that's mine, my possession. We've been talking about a lot of things over the course of this journey. If you remember, we go back to the birth of Moses. We go back to the burning bush that Moses saw. We have that episode at the Red Sea. Then we had the episode last week where, Jesus, uh, where, where Moses strikes the rock and the water comes out. And this week we find ourselves in Exodus 20, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. Now we could spend a 10-week series on each of those commandments and barely scratch the surface. What we're going to do today is talk about commandments 9 and 10, which are these. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's Exodus 20, verse 17. Coveting. Coveting is a real deal in our world. I think, I think, I think we all know that. Uh, in fact, I do a lot of work uh, at colleges. I visit colleges and I talk with students a lot. And occasionally I'll bump into a student whose major is either in marketing or in advertising. And I kiddingly, but not really kiddingly, say, oh, so you have a, you're getting a degree in covetousness. Is that right? Because your job as a marketeer or as somebody who pushes advertising is to make me covet. Because it's one thing to want something. Is it bad to want something? Not really. It's, you know, God made a beautiful world and we look at things and go, I like that. I would like to participate in that. I'd like to, to have that. But when we, when we want it and then we have to have it, we need it. Oh, if we can turn a want into a need and then a need I can't live without, then what will we do? We'll buy it with money we don't even have. That's our, that's our world. I want it so bad. I've been sold a bill of goods that this is what I need. I'm going to go out with my credit card and take it now and pay for it later. And now we're indebted and we have a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that didn't exactly follow through on its promise to make me feel great. So this is our covetous world that we live in and God calls us as the people of God to navigate ourselves through that and it's a difficult thing to do. Now, we live in Scottsdale. We, we've, we've got it, folks. 
John Scottsdale is uh, just like Minnesota, only different. <laughs> this is coveting central here in Scottsdale. I mean, we've got so much. But what's nice about this, right? Because we have so much, we don't even need anymore. We don't even want anymore, right? We're so happy with what we already have. No, what, what happens? What happens to us? We, we want and then we get and we think that that should be satisfying to us, but then we continue to want some more. It reminds me, when I was a kid, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California, and we lived in these foothills, and me and my friends used to hike up in these foothills on these little trails, and on these trails was is what we called poison oak. My mom always said, watch out for the poison oak, but I never did, and so I always rubbed up against it, and I'd get a rash on my leg or on my arm, and uh, what would I do? I'd scratch it, because I've got an itch, and I've got to scratch it, and what would my mom say? Don't scratch it. You'll make it worse. And so I wouldn't scratch it until she left the room. Then I'd scratch like crazy. And what did I do? I made it worse. It's like I can scratch my itch, but it doesn't make it any better. I have a dog right now, my, my, my dog Ella, and it's allergy season for Ella. And she, she'll scratch herself to bits. She'll scratch around her eyes and make herself all messed up. And so you, you gotta, even though you've got the itch, you've got to stop scratching it. So what we've done here at Shepherd of the Desert is we have new issue anti-covening uh, outfits. <laughs> if you put on one of those, it'll protect you from your scratching. I'm kidding, but you get the picture, right? You know what those cones do? They might keep you from scratching, but what they don't do is alleviate the itch. And so as soon as you take that cone off, there you go again. So, Alan, you're a good sport. Thank you for for letting me uh, doctor your image like that. But it's not just Scottsdale. Coveting is as old as creation because Adam and Eve coveted what? They coveted that apple and they wanted to have it. Uh, Cain coveted Abel's sacrifice. The Tower of Babel coveted God's prestige. Jacob coveted Esau's birthright. Joseph's brothers coveted their father's favoritism of Joseph. I mean, it just goes down. We, we always seem to want something that's colors outside the lines. And then we get to the nation of Israel where they are told by God not to covet. It's one of the, it's, it's the commandments 9 and 10 of the 10. It's a big deal in the eyes of God. But it started making me ask, what did, on our Exodus journey here, they're out in the wilderness. What do they really have to covet? I mean, really? I mean, they grabbed whatever they could. Do you ever think about that? The, the nation of Israel, they, grabbed, they, they had the clothes on their back, literally, and they went out, and for 40 years, they couldn't find a target. I mean, there was no place for them to get replacement clothes, replacement wheels for their carts. They were, they were stuck in a land of, that was not mercantile. There's no way, well, I'll just run down to the store and get, there were no stores. So all they had was really summed up in this command. Take a listen to this command again. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, but what was your neighbor's house? Their dwelling, probably just their tent. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, okay, the wife they had. The, not covet the neighbor's servants or their animals or anything else. That was kind of the short list. The, the neighbor coveting list while you were in the wilderness was just those things. Because people around you, I, I could see the guys, you know, the guys standing in the corner going, have you seen that guy's ox cart over there? That is a hot, I wish I had that ox cart. See that guy's wife over there? Wish I had that guy's wife. 
I wish I had that guy's donkey. That is a good-looking donkey. My donkey's got a bad third leg over here. This donkey's better than mine. And they could have coveted, even when you don't have anything and there's really nothing to shop for, it's still in us, isn't it? We still want what we don't have. But also the nation of Israel had covetousness in their heads because they had images locked in their heads from their history that they weren't going to escape. So they coveted the leeks and the onions from the Nile. Remember that? They, let's go back to Egypt because the food was so good. They had meat. We don't have meat out here. We just have manna. They also longed for the safety of Israel. We do that. We long for safety. Some uh, home security system salesperson is going to come up to you and go, you should have a home security system. It only costs you a gazillion dollars every year. I don't think I need one. Oh, you do. And then the marketing hits, and you, th- you end up going, if I don't have this, I'm less than somebody. I'm an irresponsible, uh, okay, I'll buy it, because we want security. And they longed for security, and they were a very unsecure situation wandering through the wilderness. But another thing that, they, that we find that they got covetous about was their religion. They were followers of Yahweh, followers of the one true God who had taken them through the Red Sea and given them water from the rock. But this God was not to be trifled with. This God was the invisible God meeting with Moses on the mountain. And they grew weary of that God and they had an issue with that God and they wanted a religion more like the religion of Egypt that they remembered in their head. So they coveted religious reality as well, which leads us to this picture. Uh, God's next words right after the ninth and 10th commandment. You know what they are? How did God continue on? God continued on by saying, tell the Israelites this, you've seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Oops. What did the Israelites do? Well, in Exodus 32, the next picture reminds us of creating a golden calf for themselves because they liked that type of religion more than the religion that was true, that was a part of who they were, that they were to be experiencing and to be cherishing, but instead they longed for something else. What happened as a result of this? God wanted to destroy the whole lot of them. He said, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses intercedes and says, God, 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 your glory is too important. We don't want the people in Egypt thinking you drew your people out just to have them die in the wilderness. The word of God says that God relented of his plan to slay the people. But what God did do is 3,000 died that day, and a plague came on Israel, which affected even more. God is not going to be trifled with when he says, don't covet, he means it, and especially don't covet another God, or don't covet another faith. This is really, really serious business. So, so what are we to do with this? If God is so serious about this, and the commandment says, the commandment says, thou shalt not covet. Where do, where do we even begin with this? Because we know it's built into us, and we know that we need to stop coveting because the commandment says so. So the first thing we try is we try not to covet. I'll bury my head in the sand, and I won't look at advertisements anymore. 
I, when I'm driving, I'll wear blinders on the side so I won't look at the cars around me or the billboards around me. I, you know, I won't, I just, I'll choose not to imagine anything. I'll, I'll just try not to want anything else. And we can do our very, very best, but you know what that's like? That's like the cone. <laughs> we can wear the cone around our head and just try not to, well, I, I, I still itch on the inside, but I just will try really hard not to scratch it. I'll, I'll cut my credit limit down on my credit cards. I'll, I'll, I'll get a Dave Ramsey book and I'll get some envelopes and I'll only let myself spend a certain amount of money. Again, we're, tr- we're dealing with the symptoms. We'll try not to covet and we'll try not to carry that out. But is that ultimately going to be the answer to our issue? The other thing that we could do that's good, it's good to try not to covet, by the way. Don't not, not try not to covet. But try not to tempt others to covet. This is kind of an interesting thing about us, okay? I'm going to meddle a little bit with you. And ladies, you look, you look marvelous. I mean, you look really terrific today. But I'm going to say some things. Might get upset with you. And some of you guys, too. Some of you well-groomed guys. On a given Saturday morning at the Hartley House, when we don't have to do anything or go anywhere, what do we do? It's no makeup. Throw on a few jeans, my favorite In-N-Out Burger t-shirt. We just hang out. It's nice. It's relaxed. It's casual because we don't have to be anywhere. But what if we're going out and people might see us? It's a different world, right? Because we want to make sure that we look good. Why? Oh, because we want to be a blessing to the people around us and present ourselves (laughs) at our best. No, we're out there because we would be ashamed if people didn't see us with, uh, with L'Oreal and Maybelline and Levi Strauss and whatever, Abercrombie and Fitch. You know, we got to throw stuff on here. Why? Because we want people to think we look fabulous because we care about what other people think about us. Let's just face it. We do that because we're after worship. We don't do this as a blessing to the world around us. We do that because this is who I've become, and I kind of want the world to know about it. Because if the world wasn't looking, I'd wear jeans and a t-shirt. But if the world is looking, I want to be on my best. Why do we do that? Why, why do we not only, God might have blessed us incredibly, and then we take these things, and then we festoon our lives with these things so that the rest of the world will see us and go, wow, look at you, and also so the rest of the world will go, wow, I wish I had that, and we breed covetousness in other people. Why do we do that? The Amish are good at this. I have a good friend, my, my friend Myron from Partridge, Kansas. He's, he's an Amish guy. Whenever I go visit him in Kansas, it's always, it, it's, it's, it's so refreshing because all the women wear long, monochromatic pastel dresses. They all have long hair and no makeup, and they wear the little cap. And it's like we are purposely dressing in a way that's not going to cause a man to desire us. We're not trying to impress anybody. We are, we're lowest common denominator here of how we look, and we do that as a service to the people around us. Now, I'm not saying Shepherd of the Desert. We should go to uniformed uh, Amish pastel dresses and guys will just always wear yeah. But why do we? we? We need to stop and think, why do we do things and what does that do to people around us? When we got, like push our fashion, what is fashion? Fashion is simply the marketing world telling you, you are not somebody unless you have this dress. And then you go, I've got to have that dress to be somebody. 
It's idolatry. And then you wear that dress in public and people go, ooh, look at that dress. And then they covet. It's just this spiral. And we're so used to it, especially in a place like Scottsdale. And I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just all around us. It just seeps with it. And as believers, how do we live in that? Do we choose to just go along with it because that's our culture? Or do we stand up to the culture and we say, do not covet and do not promote covetousness around us? So I've been talking about the symptoms, but we're still, we're still wrestling with the problem. It's, we keep scratching, but what about the itch? Can we get rid of the itch so that we truly don't covet in our hearts? And the answer to that, which is also the answer to most of life's issues, is the gospel. You're going, how is the gospel an answer to coveting? Well, first of all, the gospel is an answer to coveting because, there it is, what has God done for you already? He saved you. The God of this world who created this incredible world and then formed you out of the dust and you rebelled against him, he has redeemed you in Christ. He has given you a spot in this world and an eternity with him forever and this glorious planet to live in. Just the simple fact that you exist out of the mind of God and out of the love of God and get to share the love of God for the rest of your days. Isn't that enough? It isn't all through the Psalms. The psalmist says, the Lord is my portion. That's all I need. I just need a slice. I just need God and I'm a happy man. Is that enough? It's, that should warm our hearts to know it, which is, by the way, why we come to church. We come to church on Sundays to remember that, oh, that's right, I am forgiven by the grace of God and I'm reconciled to God all is well. This is fantastic. But then on top of that, we have what you now have. You live in Scottsdale, for crying out loud. We are in the top half percent of global economic prosperity and we're the most prosperous country ever and yet we still covet that is crazy can't we just be thankful for the incredible standards we have or do we always have to keep up with the joneses and look over the fence and want a little bit more than what we have and we're still not thankful enough to be content with what we have you just need to stop which is by the way why we come to church on sunday Take a few moments in your prayer life and just thank God. Make a list of all the things that you're thankful for. By the way, a friend of mine gave me this challenge not too long ago, and it was a killer challenge. He said, what if you only got tomorrow what you thanked God for today? I went, oh, then I'd have nothing tomorrow. Well, why don't you say thank you for all the things you have? And maybe it'll make you not want to have more because you have so much already, and we lose perspective. But then the next thing is, what you now get to walk in. God has not only saved you and reconciled you and he's blessed you with all this stuff, but then he gives you his word. Now we've got wisdom for living. The baptismal waters is water and word. Now these baptized kids get to walk in this truth, which is the light of the world in a dark, in, in a dark world. So now we get the wisdom of God. Psalm 19, the psalmist says, Lord, your word is Better than gold, better than silver. Gold and silver are pretty good, but the word is better. The word is sweeter than the honeycomb. It's better than any food, better than the, better than the best gourmet restaurant in Scottsdale, better than the biggest bank account in Scottsdale is the word of God. We get to walk in it. We get to live a blessed life because of the word. 
So we're reconciled to God. He blesses us with daily bread. We get the word, wisdom to walk in. And then finally, what is in store for you? Folks, you are lottery winners. Do you understand that you are a heartbeat away from prosperity beyond anybody's wildest dreams here in Scottsdale? But do we live like that? Or do we live like, okay, I know I've got eternity with God and wow, but I've got another six years here, so I better scrape and scratch and itch after every little bit so that I can have a really nice earth when I've got this in my future. So, so yesterday at my house, I was uh, trying to sell my car and Bill Gates stopped by <laughs> and I was sharing with him how he should really be interested in my 2014 Kia Soul. It's only got 126,000 miles on it and uh, it's got a little electrical issue, but besides that, it's a really nice car and Mr. Gates said to me, I couldn't believe his arrogance, he said, maybe you've forgotten who I am. I don't think I need your lousy little car. <laughs> Look what I have. I have billions and billions and billions. My life is at this standard, and you're coming along and trying to offer me this. Folks, in this parable, you're Bill Gates. It's the first time anyone's told you that, right? You're Bill Gates in this parable. You've got so much in Christ, and the world comes along and wants to give you this piddly stuff. Here, wear this shirt. Oh, wow. Come on. It's a shirt. It's a conveyance. It's a car. It's a domicile. It's just walls. We, we get so caught up in this stuff, and we covet it, and we want it so bad. It's, stop. You're the children of God. You've got God and you've got his choice of blessing for you instead of your own, which is always better, like our children's sermon today. Do you want what you want or do you want what God has given you? What God has given you is better. So we should be thankful for that, thankful for salvation, thankful for the fact that he's given us his word to walk in it, and then we've got this future that casts this huge shadow on anything that the world could offer us. We should just look at that and go, that's just ridiculous. Don't you want it? I'd far rather invest what I have in the kingdom of God that others would be lottery winners too with me. I'd much rather give than hoard. That's why the commandment is there. It says, don't covet. Those commandments are not there to be bad for you. They're there to be good for you because God knows what's best for you. So to not covet is great for us. Which brings us full circle to the epistle reading where the Apostle Paul says, here's the secret of being content. The secret of being content is knowing I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I am content with what I have and what I have is plenty, then we're in good shape. And then finally, this anti, uh, anti-coveting verse from the Gospels. You could put this on an index card and stick it on the mirror of your bathroom. Just remind yourself every day, Whoever wants to be my disciple, I think that's all of us, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So y'all must deny yourselves. That's Jesus' word today. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. God wants you to lose your life for him. What does that mean? In immediate context of the stuff we have, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And then this, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. We live life under the shadow of Jesus' coming back with rewards beyond our, beyond our wildest imagination. And so now, in the meantime, what does God call us to do? Lose your life. Don't covet more for yourself. Lose what you have for others. That's living. That's living according to the word. That's living that will store up for yourselves, not treasure here where moth and rust destroy, but treasure in heaven forever. Is that great? That is good news, and that is good living. So mine, uh uh-uh, yours, yes. Would you pray with me, please?